It was a fault charged upon the presbytery of the Ecclesia in Thyatira, that they permitted some of the Jezebel class to teach the servants of Christ there. It was the duty of an eldership not to allow error to be inculcated. They appear to have been too tolerant. Teaching which led to practices and conclusions subversive of morality and the gospel ought not to have been allowed. They had the truth which had been divinely planted among them, and all things not according to that they ought to have authoritatively suppressed. This course would have been an effectual barrier against Jezebel and her Balaamite and Nicolaitan progeny. But this course was not pursued. She obtained a foothold, and the consequence has been the extinction of Antipas in Thyatira, where none are now to be found who hold fast the name and the faith of Jesus Christ as his faithful witnesses. I gave Jezebel time, saith the Spirit, that she might heartily turn from her prostitution, but she turned not. As we have said, Jezebel still lives, and she lives in sin. In the days of John, she was without political sovereignty. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, the idolater. But she had not been married to the Greco-Latin Ahab. The Judaizing and Gnostic clergy were actively working the mystery of iniquity into authority. They had organised it into a synagogue and were privily insinuating it into the elderships, but they had not yet succeeded in allying themselves to the state. The apostles, while living, warned them and exhorted them to turn from their evil course. But, as John says, they hear us not, and went out from fellowship with them and circumvented them in every possible way. Referring to these whom he calls the Satan, after whom some had turned aside, Paul says in writing to Timothy, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. These were two clergymen, friends of Balaam and Jezebel the prophetess, who taught the inherent immortality of the soul of the flesh. And therefore, with two other clergymen, named Hymenaeus and Philetus, said that the resurrection is already past, and that, consequently, there is no future resurrection of the dead. Resurrection being unnecessary upon the Jezebel principle of the immortal soul of sinful flesh, going immediately to heaven at the death of the body. Paul argues ably against this heathen absurdity in 1 Corinthians 15, but it had no effect upon Jezebel the prophetess, for 
seducers waxed worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And she still went on in her vicious course. I gave her time, says the spirit, that she might heartily turn from her prostitution. Instead of slaying every deceiver in communion with her, as he had Ananias and his wife Sapphira, he gave her time. That time has not yet expired, for Jezebel lives but has not repented. But instead thereof sits as a woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus, upon an association of ensanguined and blasphemous powers represented by a scarlet-coloured beast full of names of blasphemy. Revelation 17, verses 3 and 6. The writers of the 2nd, 3rd and 4th centuries, styled by the clergy of our day the Fathers, with probably an exception or two, were all of Jezebel. In the letter before us, they are styled her children. They were such because they were unfaithful to the truth. And though they suffered death by the pagan power for their opinions, it was in the providence of God a present punishment for their iniquity. Behold, saith the Spirit, I cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into a great tribulation, except they may have heartily turned from their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the ecclesias shall know that I am the searcher of reins and hearts. In reading the history of these centuries, the student of ecclesiastical history must not suppose that all called Christians, who died by the hand of the executioner, were put to death for their adherence to the name and faith of Jesus Christ. Multitudes had a rage for martyrdom, and gave their bodies to the fire in expiation of iniquity, transgression, and apostasy. These were those who committed adultery with Jezebel, the clerical fathers, and her children, who looked up to those fathers as the deluded people of the religious world look up now to the clergy who deceive them, regarding them with awe as their spiritual guides and fathers in God. The tribulation that came upon the body indiscriminately regarded as Christian by the pagan authorities, an apostle terms judgment beginning at the house of God. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, says Peter, for the spirit of glory and of the deity resteth upon you. On their part, on that of the persecutor, he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer 
as a Christian. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment begin at the house of God, and if first at us, what shall be the end of them who obey not the gospel of the deity? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? First Epistle 4, verses 14 to 18. Many suffered as evildoers under the name of Christian. Thus Milner observes, Many heretics who wore the name of Christians were guilty of the most detestable enormities. These were indiscriminately charged by the pagans on the Christians in general. And again, the abominations of heretics, whom ignorance and malice will ever confound with real Christians, furnished the enemies of Christ with some tolerably specious pretensions. Probably these were much exaggerated, but whatever they were, the whole Christian name was accused of them. The injudicious conduct of apologists, says Gibbon, betrayed the common cause of Christianity to gratify their devout hatred to the domestic enemies of the church. It was sometimes faintly insinuated and sometimes boldly asserted that the same bloody sacrifices and the same incestuous festivals which were so falsely ascribed to the orthodox believers were in reality celebrated by the Marcionites, by the Carpocratians, and by several other sects of the Gnostics. Accusations of a similar kind were retorted upon the church by the schismatics who had departed from its communion. And it was confessed upon all sides that the most scandalous licentiousness of manners prevailed among great numbers of those who affected the name of Christians. The apocalyptic letters plainly testify to the existence of this state of things in the Christendom of the close of the first century. There were two classes, the Antipas, or faithful witness, who held the truth in righteousness, and the Nicolaitans, or children of Jezebel, who held the doctrine of Balaam and seduced the servants of Jesus Christ to the practice of deeds which he detested. Against these, judgment is threatened in the words, I will kill Jezebel's children with death, and all the ecclesias shall know that I am he who searches the reins and hearts. To kill with death is to destroy with violence, by judgment through the magistrate, who wielded the sword of office for the execution of the law. To kill with death was not to permit the offenders to die a natural death. All such who gave their bodies to be burned, or to be thrown to the wild beasts, or to any other form of martyrdom, were mere 
sounding brass and tinkling cymbals, and heirs of the vengeance to be revealed in the second death. They had not faith to give them the victory over the world. So the world overcame them by its seductions, and exposed them to be hurt of the second death, which is manifested after the resurrection of the flesh. When this time arrives, the bed will have been prepared for Jezebel, and she will then be cast into it, and not she only, but with her them that commit adultery. This bed is the great tribulation, or sorrow, in which the anti-Christian apostasy is to be destroyed at the apocalypse of Jesus Christ in the hour of judgment, when Babylon, the great city, falls because of her having prostituted and debauched all the nations with her blasphemies and abominations. The ecclesiasticism of the earth and of the whole habitable, with all the clerical orders by which it is upheld, will be utterly abolished by the wrath of the deity, poured out without mixture, which they will be compelled to drink with great torment in the presence of Jesus and the saints. Revelation 14, verses 7 to 11, and 18, verse 2. Into this bed of tribulation, Jezebel is at length cast, with all her anti-Christian and clerical adherents, who, in the text last quoted, are typified by demons, foul spirits, and hateful birds. For the Thyatiran Jezebel is but the germ of that Babylon which, as a mighty upas banded with brass and iron, now overshadows all nations with its pestiferous and besotting influence. Now this great tribulation, which is yet antitypically to come upon Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, was typically poured out upon the Thyatiran Jezebel, previous to the taking of the pagan hierarchy out of the way, which prevented the manifestation of the lawless one, who would be set up as the head of Jezebel, and as a substitute for Christ upon earth. As Christ is the head of the true woman, the body of the faithful, so the Pope is the present head of Jezebel, the mother of harlots, and of all her family. But before Christ appears in power, his woman passes through much tribulation to enter into the kingdom of the deity, Acts 14, verse 22. And so, before Antichrist, the power which set up as Christ's substitute, and is now incorporated in the chief styled the Pope, appeared in power. The Thyatiran adulteress was made to pass through a great tribulation, ere she could enter into the kingdom of this world, and mount the scarlet-coloured beast, and sit a queen and no widow, and intoxicated with the blood of the saints, 
and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus, say with complacency, I shall see no sorrow. She had to pass through the ten days which the Spirit forewarned the Smyrnians they would be tried with, when the Diabolos should cast of them into prison or the house of death. The reader is here referred to what has been written about the ten days' tribulation on page 240. All the ecclesias in the proconsular Asia were afflicted by this, and Thyatira's, consequently, among the rest. But the ten days' tribulation of Trajan's reign was but an earnest, as it were, of the great tribulation to which the Christian name would be subjected before the Jezebel apostasy from apostolic teaching should attain to political sovereignty over the nations and be spewed out of the mouth of the Spirit. They had to pass through that hour of trial which, the Spirit forewarned the Philadelphians of, should come upon the whole habitable to prove them that dwell upon the earth. Revelation 3 verse 10 Judgment the most terrible would befall her, which all the ecclesias would perceive was the hand of God punishing her by the sword of the ruler for her abominations. And so it was. Ecclesiastical historians inform us that in the third century the pure light of the gospel was much clouded and depraved by an unhappy nurture of philosophical self-righteousness and superstition. With the exception of three years, the Christians had enjoyed a long peace of 37 years to AD 248. This, it appears from one of Origen's homilies, was followed by a great degree of lukewarmness and even of much religious indecorum. The declension seems to have been remarkable. Several, says he, come to church only on solemn festivals, and then not so much for instruction as diversion. Some go out again as soon as they have heard the lecture, without conferring or asking the pastors any questions. Others stay not till the lecture is ended, and others hear not so much as a single word, but entertain themselves in a corner of the church. Elsewhere, says Milner, he complains of the ambitious and haughty manners of pastors, and of the improper steps which some took to obtain preferments. At this time, the reigning emperor, Philip the Arabian, who murdered his predecessor, is styled by Eusebius a Christian. And indeed, that he was so by profession, says Milner, seems well attested by the concurrent voice of antiquity. And he adds, there is no doubt 
but in the fourth year of his reign, A.D. 247, he allowed and conducted the secular games, which were full of idolatry. This Philip was slain and succeeded by Decius, A.D. 248. His enmity to Philip conspired with his pagan prejudices to bring on the most dreadful persecution ever yet experienced by Christians. It was evident that nothing less than the destruction of the Christian name was intended. The persecution raged with astonishing fury, both in the east and west. Cyprian, an overseer in the church at Carthage, during the persecution, recognises it as a chastisement for sin. In a treatise of his concerning the lapsed, is an account of the declension that had taken place before his conversion, and which moved God to chastise the church. If the cause of our miseries, says he, be investigated, the cure of the wound may be found. The Lord would have his family to be tried. And because long peace had corrupted the discipline divinely revealed to us, the heavenly chastisement hath raised up our faith, which had lain almost dormant. And when, by our sins, we had deserved to suffer still more, the merciful Lord so moderated all things that the whole scene rather deserves the name of a trial than a persecution. Each had been bent on improving his patrimony and had forgotten what believers had done under the apostles and what they ought always to do. They were brooding over the arts of amassing wealth. The pastors and the deacons each forgot their duty. Works of mercy were neglected, and discipline was at the lowest ebb. Luxury and effeminacy prevailed. Meretricious arts in dress were cultivated. Fraud and deceit were practised among brethren. Christians could unite themselves in matrimony with unbelievers, could swear not only without reverence, but even without veracity. With haughty asperity, they despised their ecclesiastical superiors. They railed against one another with outrageous acrimony, and conducted quarrels with determined malice. Even many bishops, who ought to be guides and patterns for the rest, neglecting the peculiar duties of their stations, gave themselves up to secular pursuits. They deserted their places of residence and their flocks. They travelled through distant provinces in quest of pleasure and gain, gave no assistance to the needy brethren, but were insatiable in their thirst of money. They possessed estates by fraud and multiplied usury. What have we not deserved to suffer for such a conduct? Even the divine word hath foretold us 
what we might expect, saying, If his children forsook my law, and walk not in my judgments, I will visit their offences with the rod, and their sin with scourges. These things had been denounced and foretold, but in vain. Our sins had brought our affairs to that pass, that because we had despised the Lord's directions, we were obliged to undergo a correction of our multiplied evils and a trial of our faith by severe remedies. The foregoing extract will illustrate the saying of the Spirit, And all the ecclesias shall know that I am the searcher of reins and hearts. There were those in the ecclesias, crowded as they were with worthless pastors and people, who discerned the signs of the times. The faithful deplored the evils, and justified God in his chastisements, which were according to their works. Exhortations to duty would have made no impression upon them. Nothing but the sword could arouse them to a due perception of their position. Avarice, under the teaching of Balaam, had taken deep root among them, and, as soon as the times became dangerous, vast numbers lapsed into idolatry immediately. Even before men were accused of being Christians, many ran to the forum and sacrificed to the gods as they were ordered, and the crowds of apostates were so great that the magistrates wished to delay numbers of them till the next day, but they were importuned, says Cyprian, by the wretched suppliants to be allowed to prove themselves heathens that very night. If Cyprian had lived in the 19th instead of the middle of the 3rd century, he could not have given a more accurate description of the pastors and people who call themselves Christian than is contained in the foregoing extracts. And if tribulation, such as the Decian, were to come upon the church, now the multitude of professors would be as hasty and importunate as his contemporaries to protest that they belonged to anything else than the sect prescribed by the ruling power.